Well, thank you for doing that. I thought it, it's important that we sometimes take time out and, you know, it, it maybe affect our schedule a little, but it, it's important that we just pause and, and to, to take moments like that. So thank you for, for that. I want to invite you to open your Bibles to the book of Genesis chapter 22. If you are new to scripture, it is the very first book in the Bible. And uh, as always, if you're new to Seacoast, you are welcome to use a digital version of your Bible if that's your preference. Or if you like the hard copy, you don't have one, we have them available in the back of the room. And if you don't have your own Bible, you're always welcome to take that as our gift to you. You can keep it. Um, we are, we'll be in Genesis chapter 22 in a little bit here. Um, you know, Genesis 22, is, this is just a chapter in, in Scripture that is kind of uncomfortable to me for some reasons, and it's a, encouraging and exciting for others. And so we'll be get, diving into that in a moment. We've been in a series through the book of Genesis, and the series is called The God of Our Fathers. And the point of this is that we want to study about the God of the forefathers of faith, and what can we learn about Him? What do we learn about our God? What do we learn about the Creator through these stories? Because we find that the people are very much like you and like me. So we'll be getting into that story in just a moment. Um, about a year ago, a movie came out uh, called Hacksaw Ridge, and, and I, I kind of, I love war movies and spy movies. Those are kind of my thing. I love to watch those and, and so that came out, and not like war movies with like superheroes when they're dressed up in pajamas and stuff, but you know, like actual, like the real war movie things. And so Hacksaw Ridge came out about a year ago. It's about a World War II event. And so if you haven't seen it yet, I'm going to spoil the movie for you, but it's been a year, so get over it. So, so this movie is essentially, it's about a, a, a young man who during World War II saw all of his friends and people going off to war, and he felt very convicted that he should do the same. The problem for him is that he, through life circumstances and his faith, chose to be a pacifist. And he did not believe that he should uh, use a weapon of any kind or even hold a gun. And so he felt called into this war, and he wanted to go in as a medic, but he would not use, uh, wouldn't even in training, carry a gun or use a gun. And it caused a lot of trouble. His fellow soldiers looked at him and called him a coward and said, if you're not willing to do this, there's no way I want to go into battle with you. In fact, his superior officer uh, ordered him to use a weapon. He would not do it, and to the point where he got court-martialed. And in this movie, you see this inner turmoil that he has. And at one point in it, he talks about this idea where he says, if I go back on this, I, I feel like I have to be true to who I am. I can't just compromise who I am or everything is for loss. And so he sticks true to his guns, and he gets court-martialed, and even uh, then eventually in his court-martial, the, the general finally says, okay, you may go into war, because when they asked uh, Private Doss about it, he said, listen, war is about taking, and I look around the world, and the world is just taking and taking and taking. What's so wrong about me trying to put a little bit back together? It was kind of his defense. And finally his general said, okay, Private Doss, you may go into war, you may go face a hellfire of war without a weapon to defend you, you have our permission. And they sent him into war. Now the very first uh, battle that we see is uh, his company came to this place called Hacksaw Ridge, is what it's called, and it's just, they had a, a scale this pretty high cliff, and on top of that, there was uh, multiple battles, and hundreds and hundreds of soldiers were losing their lives, and, and, and they were wounded in war up there. And so they went up there, and the very first time they, they faced this, it was just this terrible, terrible experience for everybody, and many people lost their lives, and many were wounded, and, and they had to retreat down the cliff. But that night, he 
um, he stayed up there, and one by one, he went and found soldiers who were wounded uh, on the battlefield, and he pulled them to the edge of the cliff and lowered them down on a rope to the beach where they would be, uh, have safety and then could be taken to the first aid tent and, and, and receive treatment. And it shows him throughout the night, carrying one by one, finding people, rescuing them and lowering them down to the point where his hands were, were stripped bare of all of his skin from lowering so many people down. And the next morning, the captain went into the first aid tent and found all of these soldiers who had been rescued in there. And he said, who did this thing? Who did this? And they said, the coward, Private Doss, did this. And as Doss came down the hill that night, or that day, and then the next time their company was ordered to go back up into battle, they all said, none of us are going to go into this battlefield without Private Doss with us by our side. And I was thinking about this story, and I was thinking about this story in the sense of, of this series that we've been going through. And last week we used this phrase because we were talking about faith of, of Abraham. And the phrase was, faith is living as if what you believed is actually true. Faith is living as if what you believe is actually true. And I was thinking about Private Doss and seeing how he lived as if he believed was actually true. He believed he was created and called and made for a purpose and made uniquely and had the specific calling and, and he didn't try to impose it on others. He didn't say everyone should be a pacifist. He said, but I happen to be and this is how I can contribute. And he said, I am going to live as if what I believe is actually true, that this is how God made me and called me so I will live this way. And he was brought to the very edge, you could say, of faith as he had to look over literally and allege to res- rescue and save lives, but he was challenged in his faith to take what he actually believed to be true and to live it out, and it brought him to the brink of his faith. And he was challenged, and it had to have been difficult. And today as we read this story uh, in the book of Genesis chapter 22, we see a lot going on, but one of those things is we see what it looks like to be brought to the edge of faith. And I wonder for you and for me wh- how we are in our lives and, and how, what is God calling us to? What is he asking us to believe more of him about? And so that's what we're going to look at today. So uh, pray with me and then we'll jump into our text in Genesis 22. God, we thank you for this time. I thank you. Uh, that you have called us and shaped us and made us as unique people, uh, but you've called us to a big story. And so I pray now, Lord, that uh, we could learn from these words and find encouragement and learn more about who you are. And so speak to us here in this place and let it be all about you and not about ourselves. We thank you and give you this time. Amen. So what I want to do is I'm going to read a, a, a pretty good chunk of this story and then uh, we'll take it from there. So if this is new to you, just take, soak it in. Maybe it's a familiar story for you. In Genesis chapter 22, it says this. Now it came about after these things. Oh, and by the way, I forgot to tell you these things. These things that we've studied to this point are Abraham was called out of his land to begin a new nation by God. And God wanted to do something unique through him and through a new nation. So he calls Abraham to a new na- land. He says, through you, you will have kids with your wife, Sarah, and I'm going to make you into a great nation. And Abraham had to wait 25 years for this promise of a son between he and his wife Sarah to come true. And we read this 25-year history. We see stories of his 
great faith, and then he kind of stumbles and falls. He has great moments, and then he has moments where you look at him and say, are you kidding me? What is wrong with you? You're a bonehead. And then you realize, oh, God wants us to find ourselves in the story. And, and so we find that, oh, yeah, he uses a lot of boneheads, and that's why I'm up here on the stage right now. So, so we find this story of faith of 25 years. Abraham was already old, but learning to trust God that is your promise for me going to be real. And last week we looked at, finally, after all this waiting, and as Scripture described him, even when Abraham was as good as dead, that God gave him a son with his wife, Sarah. And the son's name was Isaac, which means laughter, because they both laughed about it. They said, are you kidding me? <laughs> Someone our age having a kid? When people hear this and... and and you think of even Sarah when it describes her as 90 years old. Could you imagine when people see her at the market and they're like, you kind of look pregnant, but I don't really want to say anything. And, and, and that was kind of one of those, so when they hear about it, they kind of laugh like, you're kidding me, right? And so this is just God's humor. And so he finally blesses them with this child named Isaac, which means laughter. And so Isaac is born. Now chapter 22, Isaac is probably about 10 to 13 years old. After these things, God tested Abraham, and, and if you're into studying scripture and using your Bible and writing in them, you can mark that word tested, because it's important that the writer wants us to know that this is a test. He tested Abraham and said to him, Abraham, and he said, here I am. He said, take now your son, your son whom you love, Isaac, and go to the land of Moriah, and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains, which I will tell you. So Abraham rose early in the morning, saddled his donkey, took two of his men with him, and Isaac his son. He split wood for the burnt offering and arose and went to the place which God had told him. On the third day, Abraham raised his eyes and saw the place from a distance. Abraham said to his young men, stay here before with the donkey, and I and the lad will go over there, and we will worship, and we will return to you. Again, notice this, we will return to you. Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering, laid it on his son Isaac. He took his hand in the fire and the knife, and the two of them walked on together. Isaac spoke to Abraham, his father, and said, My father, and he said, Here I am, my son. He said, Behold the fire and the wood, but where is the lamb for the burnt offering? And Abraham said, God will provide for himself the lamb for the burnt offering, my son. So the two of them walked on together. Again, verse 8 is a key verse. Let's remember this. The story is not only a story about Abraham, but there's some foreshadow of the life of Christ in here. And so it's important that we know verse 8. God will provide a lamb for the offering. Verse 9. They came to the place of which God had told them, and Abraham built the altar there, arranged the wood, bound his son Isaac on him, and laid Isaac on the altar on top of the wood. And Abraham stretched out his hand. He took the knife to slay his son. But the angel of the Lord called out from heaven and said, Abraham. And he said, here I am. And the angel said, do not stretch out your hand against the boy and do nothing to him. For now I know that you fear God, since you've not withheld your only son. Uh, and this is your only son through your wife, Sarah. Then Abraham raised his eyes and looked, and behold, behind him a ram was caught in the thicket by its horns, and Abraham went and took the ram and offered him up for a burnt offering in place of his son. Abraham called the name of the place to this day, the Lord will provide, as it said, in the mount of the Lord it will be provided. 
All right, let's just stop there. Now, when you read a story like that in Scripture, hopefully you read this and certain questions come to mind. So I want to do something we haven't done in a while. Let me just give you a moment. What are some of the questions that you think we need to address when we read a story like that? Just throw them out. What would be helpful to know reading this story? What questions come to mind? Yeah, how can... Okay. Yeah, so how, how can Abraham possibly have that much faith to trust God with his son in this moment? Yeah, definitely. That's tough. It's, it's, as a parent, you're kind of like, God, anything but that. Me? No big deal. My kid? Uh, come on. Come on. I'm going to lean on grace on this one, right? No. Sure, yeah, so a question might be, was there more to the story? Do we, was there an argument? Was there, it says that he heard and the next day he got up early. Does that mean he's like, oh, sounds great, God, let's go. Let me get a good night's sleep and get, you know, we want to beat traffic? Or was it, he got up early because he was up all night saying, God, let's, let me just be clear about this one. <laughs> there's certain things you may ask God, if, that God calls you to, that there's certain things you just kind of want to make sure. <laughs> but we don't know. Yeah, was there more to it? Yeah. Any other questions? Okay, did, when Abraham said God will provide a lamb for the sacrifice, did he actually believe that or was he just saying that? Did he, what, how did he understand that when he says it to his son? Yeah, that's a great question. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> right. Yeah, how did it affect his, his relationship with his son, Isaac? That's a good, a, a good question, yeah. Uh, this is what God is providing Okay, what, is what God provided, was that worth this risk or, of sacrificing your son there? Yeah, that's a great question. A couple more. <laughs> that's, yeah, how do you know it's God talking to you? That's, that's usually a good one if you hear something like that. Yeah, exactly. How, well, what was, what's Isaac's story in all of this? Yeah, we're going to get, I, I have a thought on that one. One last one. Ah, yeah, great question. What, wait, is is God condoning human sacrifice here? How does this fit? So good, there's some questions. Um, uh, we will have lunch. We'll be coming in at noon, and we'll get to all of those um, by... <laughs> so we'll just kind of... We're not going to be able to address all of them, but we'll ho- hopefully get some of those. Uh, let, let me start with the human sacrifice one, because that's important, because this is something some, you'll hear from skeptics. Sometimes they'll say, really, you have a God who, who asked the father of the faith, to sacrifice his son. Um, first of all, Scripture is very clear that uh, of condemning and saying human sacrifice is not acceptable. In fact, in Deuteronomy uh, chapter uh, 12 in particular, uh, verse 30 through 32, it says, don't be like the pagan nations who sacrifice their kids to other gods. This is not permitted. Life is sacred. The other part, so no other place do we have this give up your child to a God. That's why there's, it's, in, it's important that the writer says God was testing Abraham here because he wanted you to know that the conclusion before he got too deep into the story. And another part of human sacrifice on this story is this is a unique 
moment and a unique relationship with Abraham that doesn't exist in this way with any other person. So this was a very unique, this was, he had a covenant with Abraham, he was calling him to create a new nation, a new people, he was preparing his people with stories of faith that would be important in their years ahead. Um, I will say right now, if you ever believe that God is calling you to sacrifice any human, the answer is no, you misheard. Okay, so right now, let me just say, you misheard that one. But that is um, throughout scripture, and we can talk more about that offline if if any of you want to kind of process that. Um, the story of Isaac, I think it's, it's interesting, because if, if we go by literal numbers in Scripture, Abraham's about 110 years old here, and Isaac is probably 10 to 13. Now, nothing, nothing against growing older, but my money's on the 10-year-old over 110-year-old on, on, on this one, and just, usually they're faster, stronger, just saying, um, and, and yeah, wisdom, you, got, you have dad strength. I always joke with my kids, you might get bigger, but I, I will still take you out. But, um, you know, there's probably at some point when there's a hundred year gap that maybe that's not so applicable. But so Isaac here, there's something about his willingness to be a part of this story. And, and there's something about Isaac putting this wood on his back. And this is, again, a foreshadow of Christ and walking up the hill and being bound and trusting that somehow God is going to be in this. And probably he heard his whole life, like, Isaac, here's the story of your birth. Because there had to been times. He's like, hey, you know, in kindergarten when uh, we had parent night and I sat with the other parents, uh, yeah, mom, dad, you do not look like the rest of the parents. <laughs> What's up with that story? And so there's something that Isaac maybe already knew about his life um, in, in there. Now, this relationship, is someone asked in the first service, did, did um, Abraham tell his wife Sarah? Um, the answer is no. It's not found anywhere in scripture, but the answer is no. He did not tell her. He just, there, there's just some things that dads know. It's like, hey, let's not tell your mom about this. Okay, so if we say that about like a broken lamp, let me just tell you, when God tells you to sacrifice your son, you're like, I'll tell her later. So <laughs> this is one of those. I, I don't know if, I mean, how would that conversation look? The other thing is, what does the walk home with Isaac look like? Like, ah, oh, yeah, God did provide the lamb. <laughs> all right, let's go. Come on, son. I mean, at, at that point, that's when Isaac says, dad, can you buy me a car? Sure, I'll buy you a car. You know, <laughs> what does that relationship look like after that? But what we find there is that somehow God's in it, in this story. For some reason, this story is included in the narrative of scripture. I even asked this question to myself, if this story didn't exist, would scripture change? Would the story change? And I, I actually don't think it does. I don't think the story of God's people changes much from our perspective looking back. But God also knew that the nation of Israel would be facing challenges time and time again. And to build up their trust and his faithfulness and his, his ability to provide. And the fact that they were tr- building up their belief in who God is more than in their strength of their own faith, but their faith in how big God was. He will provide. I've seen it time and time again, Isaac. And what's interesting is this story didn't happen 25 years earlier in Abraham's life. It was after a period of waiting and growing and learning to trust. I don't think the story is the same if it's one of his first encounters with God. But he had been down that road and he learned that God has a tendency to show up. And his belief in how big God was, was growing. See, we often say that it's not about the strength of your faith, 
It's about the strength of the thing or the person in whom you place your faith. And so we put our faith in a God who we are growing in, in our belief. And as we live and journey in our faith, our hope is that our belief in how big God is changes and gets bigger and bigger. Our faith may not get much stronger, but our belief in how big God is gets stronger. And so we're placing our faith in a very big and powerful God. And Abraham had been learning that. There's also some great imagery, as I said, foreshadow of Christ. This is a story in scripture that is often called a type, where it's communicating a lesson at this moment, but it's also painting a picture and preparing people's hearts to look back and say, oh, I've heard something similar. God has been preparing us to, be, to understand Jesus more. This land of Moriah and Mount Moriah was later known as the Temple Mount in Jerusalem. It was a place where sacrifices were made to temporarily cover sins. Until once and for all, Jesus went there and was led to a hill right next to the Temple Mount called Golgotha. And once and for all, Jesus, as a willing sacrifice, carrying the wood of the cross up the hill to willingly lay down his life and trusting that God will provide. So is it interesting that Abraham says, on the mountain of the Lord, God will provide. He will provide a lamb in this place. Trust me. And it's a foreshadow. It's a prophecy as well. So specifically, let's get back to this story. What is it that we learn about God in this story? What do we learn about God? And I know I'm leaving some questions hanging, and that's okay. That hopefully will cause you to go study more, wrestle more. And I'd love to talk to you more about it. And any questions I don't have, I'll defer to other people and staff. So um, let, what do we learn about God, though, in this moment? The first thing I see here is this. That God calls us to a life of faith. He has shaped you and created you in a unique way. He calls you to be a part of his mission. And he is not afraid of calling you out of the life you are currently living into a grand adventure. That sometimes we have this image of God where we think he wants us to follow him. He needs us to follow him. He's, he's just waiting for me and when I say, God, I, I give my life to you, he goes, oh, whew, that's great. Now I feel better. Just, I'll, I'll save you now the rest of your life. Just keep worrying about waking up every morning, going to work, making sure the HOA is not upset with you, and that's life. That's life from here. It's convenient. It's comfortable. That's what God wants for us. But when I read this story, I read about a God who's not afraid to call us out of our comfort zone. He's not. I, I sometimes feel like, man, we should gloss over this one because this is radical. This is big. But he's calling us to the edge of faith and saying, I've called you and created you for something more. Life is, there's more here to it. And so God's not afraid to call you and shape you and invite you into his mission and to his purpose. The other thing I see here is that he calls you to something, but he also prepares you for the journey. You see, again, as I mentioned, Abraham had years of learning to hear this voice of God. Now, I have never audibly heard the voice of God. I've never had the angel of the Lord visit me, sit down with me, and say, hey, let me just make a couple plans for you. That would be fantastic, but it hasn't happened. But through Scripture, through other people, through prayer, and just sometimes stepping out in faith, and sometimes my wife and I say, God, we think you want us to do this, so we're going to take this step, and if we're wrong, you need to close the door because you're God, I'm not. 
And sometimes that's as good as I can get when determining what God wants for my life. And there's sometimes when it says, oh, well, that didn't work out. Maybe God was closing a door. And so that's how spiritual we can be sometimes. Like, you better do this because I can't figure it out. But, so, but God calls you to something, but he also prepares you for the journey. If you look back on your life, some of you have been through some very difficult things. Some of you have been through things where God has tested and strengthened your faith. And has prepared you for something that he's calling you to now. Or that he is preparing you for down the road. See, God calls us to join with him in his mission, but he prepares us for the journey. And sometimes that preparation is painful and it's tough. In this story, God is looking at Abraham and saying, do you trust me with this person who I promised to you? Do you trust me now after all these years and how I blessed you with Isaac and he is the one I promised you? I came through now that I'm saying, hey, give him back to me. Do you still trust that I can still show up? See, he prepared him for this journey. I believe he might have been preparing Isaac too because through Isaac, the nation of Israel was formed and strengthened and grew. And he could look at his grandkids and go, let me tell you this great story. I got a good story about your granddad. <laughs> There's this time we went to a mountain. He was going to kill me. Uh, <laughs> I mean, this story had to affect the rest of Isaac's life. He will, willfully was laid on the altar, and when the angel of the Lord appears and said, Abraham, don't do this. If ever there's a time to listen to God, that's the one you're like, I'm listening. And he says, look, there's a ram caught in the horns. I kind of picture Isaac just being bound and just going like, I got it. I'll go get the ram. But did he strengthen his faith? They were prepared for the journey. But let me make one statement. You are going to stumble on the journey. I can promise you that. Abraham stumbled on his journey of faith. He had these moments that we write about and say, oh my goodness, look at that. And he has these moments where you look at and you just say, I can't believe he did that. I would never do that. But the life of being a follower of Jesus, a disciple of Jesus, and learning more and more what it means to have his life lived out through us is one that is going to have ups and downs. I love the way Brendan Manning speaks about it mean, what it means to be a follower of God, a disciple of Jesus. He says this, what makes an authentic disciple of Jesus is not visions, ecstasies, biblical mastery of chapter and verse, or spectacular success in ministry, but rather a capacity for faithfulness. We're buffeted by the fickle winds of failure. We're battered by our own unruly emotions, bruised by rejected, rejection and ridicule. Authentic disciples of Jesus may have stumbled and frequently fallen, We've endured lapses and relapses, gotten handcuffed to the flesh pots, and wandered into a far country. Yet, we keep coming back to Jesus. You see, a, a life of faith is one where you're going to stumble, you're going to have your lapses, your relapses, your ups and downs, but the life of a disciple keeps coming back to Jesus. And here's the good news. He's already paid the price. He's already been there for you, and he's waiting and there's always a place to come back. Love that part of the story. So God sees. Oh, sorry. So God calls us. The other thing is this that we learn in the story is that God sees. The word here, uh, my translation says God will provide. Some of yours might say God will see to it. 
We use this word in, in scripture. You may have heard a name of God, Yahweh, Yahweh. The word Yahweh or Yitre is he will see. And, and it's often used for provision. He will see to it. He already sees down the road. And so when God calls you to something, he is already, he's already sees what you need. He is already providing what you need. In this place, the ram was already there. God saw to it. When he talks about on this mount, he will see to a provision ultimately once and for all, Jesus Christ. He will see to provide for your needs once and for all. So God calls you, but he sees what you need and he'll be there in that moment. And again... His love for you and his provision is not based on your performance. Is that not good news? Thomas Merton once says this, A saint is not someone who is good, but someone who experiences the goodness of God. He sees to it, and he's already there. I had a mentor once say this, that God always pays for what he orders. If he asks you to do something, if he's calling you to a life of faith, if he has something for you, he's already, he sees to it, and he pays for what he orders. He's already been there. He knows. God's not waiting, watching to see the story and saying, oh, let's see how this works out. Oh, I should have thought of that. should have had a ram. Sorry. He's already there. He's already provided. How many times have you been afraid to step out in faith because you're not sure how it's going to work out? Is there a conversation you wanted to have with someone, maybe to ask for forgiveness, when you just knew you had to have the conversation, but in your head you worked that conversation all the way to the end? You know, you practiced it, you prepared for it, and you said, oh, I'm going to say this, and that person's going to say this, and then, uh, then I'm going to have this great thing to say, and it's going to be here. And you prepared for the conversation, but you were so afraid of what was going to happen that you delayed and delayed and delayed. And then finally you have that conversation, and you say, oh, that wasn't as bad as I thought. Granted, sometimes it was as bad as you thought. I get it. <laughs> but often we get so caught up and we think, if I step out in faith, will God know what I need in that moment? And scripture reminds us that he already knows. He sees to it. He's already been there. Maybe a conversation of faith with someone and you're afraid, if I say something about Jesus, I'm going to be mocked and ridiculed. I'm going to lose my job. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to lose all my friends. Have you ever had those thoughts and kind of that fear to even say anything about your faith? A moment pops up in the, in the workplace and you go, like, this would be a great time for me to say something about Christ. But I'm not going to because that would be terrible right now. I'd be afraid to do it. And you know inside this would be a great opportunity, but you're afraid to say something. I don't know about you, but that always holds me back. Until the moments I actually, you know what? Anytime I've said something about Jesus, no one has ever said stood up in the restaurant and said, I gotta tell you this guy, he just said something about Jesus. What an idiot. That's never happened to me. But I get, because God has always been there in the moment and has already provided. I remember a time when we were living in Israel and there's a lot of tension and, and you gotta be careful on, on political and religious matters. And but we were in a park and, and my son at the time was eight years old and we met this reporter from Europe and and my son, by the end of our time here, this is how he literally started the conversation. Go, oh, look, this is a reporter. He's from the, uh, from the Netherlands. And we we're talking, and we we're in the park. And my son looks at him. He's eight years old. He goes, so are you a Muslim, a Jew, or a Christian? That's, that's how he started. And I was just like, don't say anything. And then my son's like, because I'm a Christian. I'm like, no, you can't. Don't say that. 
Don't let them know that. What's go- you can't say that. And I literally, out loud, said to my son, he's stepping out in faith and just being this innocence of a child, I'm saying, don't tell him you're a Christian. And the reporter looks, he goes, actually, it's a very great question to have here. And he said, I'm an atheist. I'm like, oh, I didn't, wasn't ready for that one. But see, I, I had so much fear sometimes in those moments as if God couldn't already be there. What is it for you? I want to invite our worship team to start making their way up. And when we read a story like this, often we look at this and say, well, that's Abraham, not me. But what is it for you? I was really proud of a group of our high school students. Uh, last night they had an event at uh, SDA at high school. They did a battle of the bands. They had um, some, several bands from Carlsbad and from Encinitas, and they did a battle of bands concert, but it was a benefit concert to w- raise awareness for human trafficking. And these students who put this event on were our own high school students, and they said, we want it to be about raising awareness, but we also want to talk about breaking the chains on your soul and how true freedom is found when you recognize that God loves you through Jesus Christ. And I looked at them and said, that's in a public high school. You know that, right? Be careful what you say. And about 400 people came out to the event last night. And they said it. And they were very clear in a very respectful way. We were very, so proud of them. But I look at our high school students who are in group now. And the, the group of them that worked on us, so proud of the work they did. And I got to tell you, there was moments, because my kid is one of them, where I was like, I wouldn't say that. Just kind of keep it on the DL. Just give them like a note card. Say, if you want to hear about Jesus, come. You know, we got this place. <laughs> But they said, you know what, for us, we found freedom and hope in our life following Christ. We'd love for you, if you want to know more about that, we'd love to talk to you. Was it? So afraid to step into that moment, but they got to the edge of their faith in front of 300 peers who are teenagers who have Instagram accounts and Snapchat and all that stuff to talk about the event. And they said, but we're not afraid to say what we want to say because God has made us, created us, and called us to the edge of our faith for this moment. What is it for you? We're going to end our time in communion. And as we end our time in communion, we have tables around the room, and we want to invite you to, uh, whenever you want, go up to a table, take the communion elements. And we're going to remember the, the, the bread reminds us of the life of Christ, the body of Christ that was broken for us. You see, because this story reminds us that God has already been in this place. Whatever he's calling you to, whatever your life of faith looks like, he is already there. And he provided Jesus to be there to not just strengthen you, but to be there if you stumble and fall. He's already in that moment. The fears you have, he's already in that moment. He's paid the price for you. For our our inadequacies, he was adequate. And so we remember his life and death. And then with the juice, we remember the blood of his covenant. And this is essentially Jesus saying, I make a deal with you. And the deal is, it will be on me, not you. I will be enough for you. My love will be enough. My power will be enough. I will go before you. And when we take the elements this morning, we remember that he's enough. And so we want to reflect on what is God calling us to? What's the edge of faith for you? And if you've been following Jesus for a long time, it's going to be further out on the ledge probably than if this is your first step. But to know that when you get to that step, Jesus will meet you there because he already sees. So whenever you feel 
ready, go up. You can go by yourself. Go with someone else. You may pray. You may just sit and reflect. But use this moment to remember and to be grateful for a God who sees and who provides for where we're at. So let's pray. God, we thank you for this time. We thank you that you already see. You've been there. And so we give you...